0: Father, this morning as we open your word, our prayer is that your spirit will come and illuminate our hearts from within. I pray, Spirit of God, that... Just as Jesus said, you would be the one to remind us of the things the Lord has said, that you would be our teacher. I pray in this moment that you would teach your people things that I cannot teach them, that you would do a work that's far deeper than words could express. And um, we'll just give you thanks for it. And we'll celebrate your goodness in the name of your great son, Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. This morning, if you, uh, if you have your Bible, I'm sure most of you have your, your sermon notes, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 today, and uh, we're just going to read a, a few verses scattered throughout that first chapter. Before we do that, I kind of want to give you a backdrop, an understanding of what's going on as Paul begins to pen this letter to the church at Ephesus. Um, now, this letter was written around the year 60 AD, something like that. But about 10 years before that, something had happened in Christianity that would, would absolutely change Christianity for all of human history. It was an event that's found in the book of Acts in chapter 15, is what today we call the Council at Jerusalem, okay? Now, the Council at Jerusalem was basically this enormous gathering of the, of the early church leaders They gathered together because up until this point, Christianity had kind of been viewed almost as a Jewish religion. It was almost as if Christianity still kind of catered to the people who were a part of the Jewish race. Now, they were open to other people, outsiders of of different races. They called them Gentiles. They were open to them joining the church, But the the powers that be, the Jewish leaders who had converted to Christianity, they were still applying their same laws and traditions and rituals. They were putting that weight on the back of the Gentiles that weren't even Jewish. And so there was this gathering And some of the church leaders were divided and some were saying, no, they need to abide by the same laws and rituals that we have abided by as the Jews. And others were saying, no, God is doing a new thing. It is no longer about the old rules and rituals. This is a new era of what God is doing. So they had this enormous council. They all come together. And so much of the council didn't just revolve around rules and laws, but so much of it revolved around the idea of circumcision. And so what the Jewish leaders were calling Gentiles to do when they had converted to faith in Christ is that the Jewish leaders would look at grown men who were Gentiles and they would say, if you truly want to follow Jesus, then you need to become like us and you need to be circumcised. You can join us, you can be a part of this offshoot of Judaism, but pass the knife because we gotta make sure that you're circumcised so that you can follow all the laws that we have had. To endure. And so at this Council of Jerusalem, they, they come to this decision. It culminates in this decision, and Peter steps up, and James, the brother of Jesus, steps up, and they say, No, God is doing a new thing. Gentiles are no longer second class citizens in the kingdom. They're no longer a people who are viewed as outsiders. They are a people who are now on equal playing field with even us, the Jews. It was a huge, monumental moment for the church. But just like any other culture, even our culture today, even though it was decided within the church and this was going to be the new policy of the church that we were just going to welcome people and they didn't have to abide by all of these rules and regulations, for the culture of people, it took time for that really to take root. And many of the Gentiles that were, even though they had heard about the the ordinance that had been passed, many of the Gentiles still struggled with this second-class mentality. They still struggled to really believe that God viewed them on equal level as he viewed the Jews. And so Paul understood this. And so throughout Paul's epistles, we're going to see in Ephesians and in Romans and Galatians, throughout his epistles, what Paul is trying to do is he's writing to these churches. He's trying to get them, because they are not Jewish churches, they are primarily Gentile churches. Paul is trying to get them to understand he's trying to bury this in their souls. So that not only will it take root in their hearts, but in time it'll take root in the hearts of their children. And so Paul is trying to communicate uh, this idea and what he chooses to do brilliantly is Paul chooses to use a concept that all of the people would understand. And Paul uses the idea, the concept of adoption. You see, for the people who were Gentiles, in, in, in uh, Roman Greco culture, adoption was a very common thing that would happen um, among the people. It wasn't the same as it is today. Oftentimes in, in modern times, when people adopt a child into their family, it's usually about the welfare of that child. They don't want that child to end up in the system, or um, the the birth parents are unable to care for the child in the way that it's needed, and so another family steps in and they adopt that child into their family. That's the way modern-day adoptions occur. But in Greco-Roman culture, it wasn't so much about the welfare of the child. Oftentimes, what it was about was the namesake of a family and the lineage continuing on. See, you may have a husband and a wife who are married and they are unable to bear children, or they only are able to to bear female children. And they may, in their community, have another friend or a couple. And they have multiple sons in their family. And so this family would come together and make a decision. We need to adopt a son so that our namesake can carry on. And so they would have this discussion and they would go to this family and have the discussion. And there would be this incredible ceremony that I don't have time to get into. But this very uh, symbolic ceremony that they would go through. And the son would leave from one family and be adopted into this family so that the namesake could carry on and the lineage could continue and in greco-roman culture it wasn't just that you shifted families it was almost as if there was a separation that was so wide and gaping so much that the the former family almost did not even acknowledge the existence of that son. Some writers say that the former family would consider that child as dead, as if he never even existed. And so when the child steps into the new family, he's no longer responsible for the things that went on when he was in his former family. There's no longer debt that he owes to his family. He's not going to, want to inherit their debt. No, he has gone into a new family, and in this new family, all things are made new. And so in this type of culture, this is what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. This is what he says. He says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. The father decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through the son, Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, We have received an inheritance from God for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, which he promised long ago. Way back in the, um, in the early, mid-2000s, uh, many of you may know that um, there was this explosion, there was kind of this phenomenon on the internet, and it was called blogging. Anybody remember blogging? This was before social media. As a matter of fact, when social media came out, when Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, all these things came out, they were considered microblogs. But in the original blogs, it was like a life journal that was posted for everybody to see and people would get on and they would write about their family and their friends, their experiences, all this kind of stuff. And I am so ashamed and embarrassed to admit this, but I jumped on that bandwagon. And in the mid 2000s, I had an extensive blog and I am so very thankful that it is buried way, 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 way deep in the... um, in the abyss of the internet. Um, But I jumped on that bandwagon and uh, I would write the same kind of stuff about experiences. I would write a lot about ministry and my family and marriage and different things like that. And one day I decided that I was gonna just write a silly post and i started blogging uh and i basically said something to this effect i said um hey if you're reading this and you know you come in to an extra thousand dollars and you just want to bless somebody remember me here's a wish list that i have you know and in that blog, I listed out like the top 10 or 12 things that, that I was hoping to be able to buy or to get or something like that. And just like with any other blog, I just kind of wrote it and it was more comical than anything. And then I just kind of moved on, you know. Well, a few months later, uh, I got home from work one day and on the kitchen table, there was an enormous box That had come in the mail. Somebody had shipped me this enormous box, and I thought, man, I don't know what this is. Like, I hope it's not a bomb or, you know, a horse's head or something like that. I didn't know what I was getting ready to open because I wasn't expecting anything. I knew I hadn't, you know, ordered anything or whatever. And so I got to the box and I began to open it. And when I opened the box, what I realized is that this box was filled with every single item on my wish list. Every single thing that I had written months ago was inside this box. What had happened is that my dad had saw my post. And over the next few months, he decided that he wanted to accumulate these things and, and send them to me as a gift. And uh, I got to be honest with you, I was beside myself. It was one of those things where I may have been, you know, close to 30, but I reverted to like 13. And I was just tearing through. I was so excited. Everything on my wish list. And it was some small things. Like, I think I had asked for a hat you know, something as small as that. And then I'd ask for like uh, tickets for Joy and I to go to a leadership conference. But then one of the items on there, this was like when the iPad first came out and I had asked for a first generation iPad and those suckers ain't cheap, okay? And I remember opening the box and there was a brand new iPad inside the box. It was one of those things. Do you remember being a kid at Christmas And you start going through things and you're so excited about this one thing, but then you see another gift and you kind of put this to the side and you start rifling through. And before it's all said and done, later in the day, you realize, oh, I forgot about this. And you kind of put this gift aside and it's like you rediscover the gift all over again. It was that kind of a day for me. I was a grown man, but I felt like a little boy, and uh, it was really a a really special moment in, in my life. Well, the reality is for the Christian, salvation, our salvation, is like a giant gift box that is filled with gifts. It's a giant gift box that is filled with all kinds of gifts. It's filled with things like justification. The idea that God views us now as if we have never sinned is a gift that really deserves a series of sermons in and of itself. The idea that God has gifted us regeneration, that he has brought our dead spirit to life again is a gift that he has given to us that we are sanctified, that we are set apart is a gift that God has given to us, that we have been bought back by the precious blood of Christ, that we have been redeemed. This is a gift within the gift of salvation. But as we rifle through all these gifts and we give so much attention to to all of these, which we should, because these are doctrinal truths and these are things that we will die for, There's one of these gifts within the gift of salvation that sometimes if we're not careful, we can kind of overlook it or be excited about it in the moment but kind of set it to the side and forget about it because all of these other things are so fascinating and so intriguing and so exciting and it's the gift of spiritual adoption. It's the idea that not only did God through Christ forgive us of our wrongdoings and our rebellion, not only did he buy us back with his own blood, not only did he look at us and call us sanctified and justified, but beyond all of that, he looked at us and he said, I don't want to just give you those things. I want to bring you into my family where I'm no longer just God Almighty, but I'm God Almighty, your Father. It's a gift. I got to tell you, it's a gift that keeps on giving. And I'll tell you, as I looked through the box that my dad had sent, I remember inside the box he had printed out my, my blog and, and he had just done a checklist of every gift that was in there. But on the back of that, he had written me a note. And I got to be honest, the note was a gift itself. And the note, as even though it wasn't something that he purchased, The note helped me understand all the other gifts. It helped me understand why he gave me all those other gifts. And it was simply this, hey, I read your blog. I think you're a great writer. I love you. I'm proud of you. I just wanted to bless you. This note helped me understand all of these other gifts. And the reason he gave me these other gifts, adoption is the note It's not, hey, I'm just gonna give you all these gifts, but he's saying, I want to adopt you because I want you to understand. I'm not doing these things out of obligation. I'm not doing these things because you've earned it or because you deserve it. I'm doing all these things for one simple reason, because of love. Because of the depth of my love for you, I want to bring you into my family. And so today what I want to do is I just want to, I want to help us rediscover the richness, the validity, the encouragement that comes along with understanding what it means for us to be spiritually adopted into the family. Now, if you're looking at your notes, you're going to think, dear God, we won't eat till two, okay? And that's not the case. I'm going to get you out of here fair and square, Okay but I really want us to understand the privileges and the benefits that we have received as adopted sons and daughters of God. Now, in the natural realm, in scripture, in the Old Testament, you you never find the word adoption. You never find the the word adoption in the Levitical law. There really really wasn't provision uh, that would show you how to adopt children into your family. But the reality is, is that it existed. We see it in the life of Moses. Remember Moses, Pharaoh was going on a tirade. He's killing all the male babies. And Moses' mother gives birth to him. When she gives birth, at a certain point, she puts him in the Nile River on on a hope and a prayer. He goes down the river. Ironically, the same Pharaoh that's trying to murder all the babies, his sister finds Moses and adopts Moses into her family, and he ends up being raised in the same palace with Pharaoh. It's adoption, 101. We see this in the life of Esther. The Bible reminds us that Esther, somehow her parents had died at a certain point in her life, and her cousin Mordecai adopted her, and the Bible says that Mordecai raised her as his own. He adopted her into his family. Job, as he is going through um, uh, this discussion with his friends and, and with God, he is defending himself and he's saying, but, but I've always done this. I've always done this. I've never done that. I've never done that. And he makes a statement in Job 31. He says, I have always cared for orphans like a father. And so though the, the Old Testament scriptures would not specifically speak about adoption, the, the Jewish people understood it because it was always there. But then in the New Testament, what we find right out of the gate is the story of adoption in the Savior, the Christ child, Jesus. Remember, Jesus is born of a virgin, Mary. He has the the genetics of Mary running through his physical veins, but he doesn't have the physical genetics of Joseph running through his veins because God Almighty was his father. And so in this, Joseph, being a just man, the Bible says, he adopted Jesus into his own family as his own. The brother of Jesus, James, later in his epistle, he would say this, he would say, genuine and pure religion in the sight of God the Father. It means caring for the orphans and the widows. There was this understanding that adoption was a noble concept and it was something that was not birthed in this world, but birthed from the heart of God. And so Paul understanding that the Jewish people, they're gonna understand when I use the phrase adopt, They are gonna understand this because they know Moses as one of the most supreme beings in their religion. So they are going to understand what I mean, the gravity of what I'm trying to say when I'm saying that these Gentiles are adopted into the family of God. The Jews are gonna get it. But not just the Jews, the Gentiles are gonna understand because not only do they have New Testament scriptures, but all around them in Greco-Roman culture, they see this happening all the time. They are seeing sons brought from one family, cut off from that family and placed into another family as they're new. And so Paul brilliantly seeing that the Jews are going to get it, the Gentiles are going to get it in the natural. He takes the concept and he shifts it towards the supernatural. And he helps them understand that this isn't just something that you see played out in everyday life. This is something that we see in the kingdom of God. And so Paul, being as brilliant as he is, he doesn't just talk to them about adoption. He talks to them about how they became orphans in the first place. In the book of Romans, uh, Paul goes on and he begins to talk about in the garden where Adam and Eve are tempted by Lucifer and when they sinned against God's demands and when they rebelled against God, that that sin, perpetuated sin for all of us for all time. It's called original sin. And in that moment, what Paul is helping the Romans understand, he's saying in that moment, not only did Adam and Eve become spiritual orphans, But you all became spiritual orphans without a father. You all became spiritual orphans without a father. And let me be clear, it's not that God abandoned Adam and Eve. No, Adam and Eve abandoned God. And it's not that God abandoned us or me, it's that I abandoned God. And the reason is because we have been born into this thing called a sinful nature. In the beginning, we are born bent towards destruction. We are bent towards sinfulness. I have, a, uh, I have five children, and um, sometimes I make jokes about how many kids I have, and um, a family in the church that almost has like double the kids that I have, they came to me one day, and they said, uh, we just want you to know we think it's so cute that you think you have a lot of kids. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. That's fair. That's fair. So I got five kids. I had two biological children, three children who are adopted. Our youngest is uh, a little over one. And the other day, she and my wife were having a battle problem, if you know what I'm saying. She's a little one, so she's very curious about things, and she wants to touch a lot of things, you know. And uh, I remember sitting there, and I was just watching this all unfold, and Aubrey goes, and she tries to touch, and Joy says, Aubrey, no. And Aubrey looks at her. She said, no. And she goes to touch it. And Joy gets down and she says, baby, look at me. No, do not touch. And Aubrey looks and says, I, you don't know what you're talking about. She goes to touch it. And mom says no. And I'm sitting there just watching. I am so, like, I've done this a lot, you know? And so I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm just like, oh man, this battle, you're not gonna win. I mean, you'll win, you'll win the war, but you're not gonna win this battle, right? This kid is gonna touch it regardless of what you say. And I'm sitting there and, and she, she keeps going. And after a few minutes, Joy is just exasperated. And she's like, what is going on with her? I just looked there. I said, she's a sinner. That's what's going on with her. I said, it's that sin nature, rising up. She said, she's one. And I said, I know, I'm I'm kidding. But I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding at all. She, just like me, was born with the propensity to sin. And not only to rebel against human authority, but to rebel against divine authority. I think think you are all incredible people. But let's be honest about who we once were. The Bible makes it clear that before Jesus, Paul said that we were considered children of wrath, destined for the wrath of God to be poured out on us before Christ made a way for us. We love... um, John 3, 16, I mean, it's the most known verse in in all of scripture throughout the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It is a verse of hope. It is incredible. I cling to it. I thank God for it. But 20 verses later in the same chapter, listen to what John writes. He says, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. What the Bible is crystal, crystal clear about is that you and I are broken, sinful, rebellious, depraved human beings. We have rebelled against God and the only good that we have ever done was recognized it and begged God for mercy from his own wrath. And in this brokenness and in this place of detriment, God works not only to forgive us, right? That would be enough in itself if he was like, I forgive you, you can go to heaven. But he goes beyond that. And he says, I'm not just coming for your sin, I'm coming for you. And he builds this case where we can not only call him God, but we call him Father because he worked to buy us back. When we talk about salvation, especially like in theological circles and stuff, it can feel so cold and distant Because some of the terminology that is used, like justification and those type things, those are legal judicial terms. Like even in Old Testament times, those were judicial type terms. And sometimes our salvation can feel so cut and dry and so cold. And it's like, well, God said he would do it, so he was obligated to do it. And it totally leaves out the component of God's deep love for people. And the point of what I'm trying to say is this is that God could have forgiven us, He could have done all this stuff for us, and still not chosen to adopt us into his family. He could have let us come to heaven, but when, you know, you guys can come to heaven, but you've got to stay like right out here outside the palace, you know? No, the Father said, no, "No, no, I don't want you just to have access to the kingdom. You've got access to everything, because you're not just a servant, you're a son. You're a daughter. Your child of the Most High God. And so spiritual adoption is a step beyond forgiveness. Forgiveness is the most incredible gift that we could have ever been given. But spiritual adoption is a step beyond it. One of my favorite writers, he said this: he said, justification is when we are acquitted in God's courtroom, but adoption is when we are welcomed into God's living room. It is a whole nother thing. To consider that we've been forgiven, but now we're brought in as sons and daughters. It is a whole other thing. It's as if God, in all of his goodness and in all of his mercy, he stood on this side with the family of light, family of those who were devoted to his good name. And he looked across this incredible gap, this abyss, and he saw a family of darkness. And he just simply called out and he said, I have made a way. All you have to do is come. You don't have to pay any fees. You don't have to do anything for this. I paid it all. All you have to do is come. And for those who stand on this side of the gap in the family of spiritual darkness, we'll call it, For those who reject this generous, merciful offer of our God are indeed deserving of the wrath that's justified. But those who receive it, the Bible says, but those who would receive it are dubbed with the honor of being called the children of God. And so today what I want to do, I just want to take a few minutes and I want to, I want to talk to you about the privileges and the benefits that we receive as being the adopted sons and daughters of God. There are 12 different things I'm going to mention. Most of these I'm going to just blow right through and some I'm going to camp out on for a second. Number one is this, adopted children have been bought back by God. Galatians 4, 4, and 5 says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem or to buy back those who were under the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. See, today in, in modern times, um, when you go to adopt a child, there are three different options between the two families. Um, there is one option that is called an open adoption. And basically what that means is that if I adopt a child into my family, an open adoption means that these two families are still going to kind of share the child, if that makes sense. This family, although the primary responsibility is with this family, this family is still going to have influence over the child. This family is still going to be able to kind of shape and craft and mold this child. This is an open adoption. The second option is what we call semi-open or semi-closed, whichever, if you're, you know, glass, half-full glass, semi-open, semi-closed adoption. And it basically means this, that um, the, the child is going to live with this family, but this family can still have some level of influence as long as these parents permit it. Right, so there may be, and this means like uh, you know, monitored visitation, or you know, you may you can go with this family for a weekend or something like that. That is an, a, a semi-open adoption. But then they have the option that's called a closed adoption, and what that means is that once the adoption has been finalized and a child has brought from this family and placed into this family, the former family has no influence or rights over the life of this child no longer and in Greco-Roman culture there was no such thing as an open adoption there was no such thing where a child may be brought from this family into this family but this family is still just hanging out with the kid and everything there was nothing like that every adoption in Greco-Roman culture was a closed adoption you are no longer a part of this family you are now a part of this family You no longer owe this family anything. You are now, your allegiance is now to this family. One guy wrote this about the Greco-Roman culture. He said, an adopted son was considered like a son born into the adopted family. Even if he was a grown man, by the time he was adopted, he received all the rights and privileges as if he were born into the adopting family. He could no longer inherit from his former father. And he was no longer liable for the old debts from the former family. So far as his former family was concerned, the child was dead. In other words, what Paul is trying to communicate is a spiritual parallel. He's saying, listen, you know in your culture when you see a child that's taken from one family to another family and this this family just considers you're dead to me, there's no longer influence, there's no longer any type of, of, of play between the two. He said, that is what God has done for you. He has brought you from one family into this family and this family no longer has a right over you It no longer has influence over you. You no longer owe this family. You don't owe them a debt of sin. You don't owe them a debt of gratitude. You don't owe them any type of condemnation. You don't owe them your shame. You don't owe them anything. They are dead to you. You have been brought into a new family. And in this new family... You don't have to worry about paying things back because everything has been paid well, well in advance. And so as adopted children, we have been bought back from death, hell, and the grave, from our sin. We have been bought back from God. Number two, adopted children receive blessing and privileges from God in this lifetime. In physical adoption, a child receives immediate benefits or just like when you have a biological child, when you bring that child home, that child receives immediate benefits. It, you know, housing and food and clothing and in time, iPhones and cars and all this stuff. Do you know how much it costs to raise a kid today? I read somewhere it's something like between, by the time a child is born and the time they graduate high school, it's something like $280,000 that you'll spend on that child in their, you know, adolescent window. It it takes a lot to invest into a child to care for a child. But when a child is brought into a new family, they receive those immediate benefits just as if they were a biological child. And in the same way in spiritual adoption, we receive immediate benefits when we enter into our new family. We receive not only the love of God, the, 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 you know, the, lack of condemnation and shame and all this kind of stuff, but God has given us even more stuff. He's given us his spirit. He's given us giftings. He's given us talents. He's given us a spiritual family. He's given us the potential that we can have spiritual fruit one day. God has given us immediate benefits in this life, but it's not just benefits that we receive in this life. God says, because we're adopted sons and daughters, we also receive an inheritance in the life to come. Paul says this. He says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. In the life to come, do not be mistaken what it is about. It is not about fluffy clouds and harps. It's not about wings and it's not about gold. It's a brand new existence for the children that have been brought into the family of God. And it includes things like reward for the good things that you have done on this earth, not only for other people as individuals, but to further the kingdom of God. You will be rewarded, the Bible says, for the good things that you have done. The inheritance is a reward for those things that we have done, but it's not just that. The Bible makes it clear that we will rule with Christ, that we will reign in this new kingdom with Christ, and we will have roles and we'll have responsibilities. We will have purpose in the life that's to come. But probably the most exciting thing is that God says that at at this point in the new life that we are also going to receive the gift of glorification for our body, for these mortal bodies, which i got to be honest, some of us are more excited than others about that, okay? But these are not just things that we receive in this life and the benefits, but also in the life to come. Number four, adopted children possess the spirit of God. Romans 8, Paul writes this, he says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption. Listen, in the Garden of Eden, we see the manifested, concentrated presence of God fill that garden. We see see the presence of God fill the garden. Following the rebellion, we see the concentrated presence of God begin to fill the tabernacle of Moses from time to time. From the tabernacle, it went to David's temple and Solomon's temple. The concentrated presence of God would, would fill it from time to time and then go. But now we live in an era where the risen Christ has gone and the spirit of God has come. And he doesn't just fill places from time to time with the concentration of his presence. He fills the temples of God with his concentrated presence. There's no longer a divide. There's no longer a curtain. There's no longer a barrier between our relationship with God in heaven because the Spirit of God, as his children, we possess that. And when the Spirit of God possesses us, Jesus told us all the good things that the Spirit of God would bring about for us. He says, look, not only is he going to bring you peace in the midst of chaos, but he's gonna bring you understanding. He's gonna bring you comfort. He's gonna bring you guidance. And you know what? He's gonna bring you power to live in the day and the hour that you were called to do. And listen to me, as sons and daughters of God, we cannot belittle the reality that the Spirit of the living God dwells inside of you, and he dwells inside of me, a privilege. Listen to me. This is not very kind to say, but it's true. You possess something as a Christian that the non-Christian does not possess. You want to know why the world is absolutely bonkers? It's because so many people do not possess the spirit of God. I read yesterday, the American Medical Association is suggesting that we no longer put gender on birth certificates. Listen, I'm not saying this for shock value, it doesn't, whatever, I'm saying this for the reality For the person who is filled with the spirit of God that understands when God created people, he created them with gender. They are born with gender, but they are also born in the image of God. It grieves the spirit in a way that it doesn't grieve somebody that doesn't have the spirit. It's a grievous thing when we look on something like that and we look on our children and we consider all that is being taught It's grievous, not because we're better, and it's not because we're moral. It's not because we uh, have this this advantage that we simply possess the Spirit of God, and His Spirit is intertwined with our spirit. And the things that grieve Him grieve us as they should. And if they don't, we may want to reconsider whether we are adopted into the family of God or not. And so as adopted children, we possess this gift of the Spirit of God. Number five, we also as adopted children carry the image and the name of God. Paul said all who were led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. They're called the sons of God. A couple of years ago, my, one of my, my daughters, Ella, um she's she 's going to kindergarten this year oh. you know when you 're six, you really shouldn't be in public school for eight hours a day. It just shouldn 't be all right I know you probably don 't agree with that that's okay. You can email me at Glenn at christianlifeumbia dot <laughs> com i 'll be sure to get right back with you as soon as I possibly can um. A few years ago when Ella was probably, she was probably two. Um, now keep in mind, Ella, her birth mother uh, is Caucasian. Her birth father is African-American, okay? I had her in a doctor's office or a dentist office. I can't remember which one it was. And Ella was kind of just laying on my chest. And um, she was either sick or nervous or something like that. But she was just cuddled up, you know, to me. And... Um, the sweet little older lady, she comes walking by, and she looks, and she says, that is the sweetest thing, and she looks, and she goes, oh, my goodness, she said, she has your hair. <laughs> she just kept walking on, and I said, oh, thank, that, that, that means so much. Um, now, if you've ever seen Ella, she clearly does not have my hair, okay, clearly, But Ella does carry my name. See, she's not just Ella. She's Ella Henderson. And she's not just Ella Henderson. She's Corey's daughter. And she's not just Corey's daughter in the church world. She's Pastor Corey's daughter. And whatever my name carries, for better or for worse, listen to me, Mom and Dad, for better or for worse, whatever my name carries, her name is going to carry. As sons and daughters of the most high God, do you understand the weight of what his name carries on our life? We are made in the image and the likeness of God, but not just that, we're brought into his family. We have a new last name. We are no longer sinners. And listen to me say this. We're no longer just saints. It would be amazing if we were the saints of God. I would be on parades. I would be orchestrating things. I mean, celebration, confetti, the whole thing. Even if God had said, you're saints in my eyes. But it goes so far beyond that. He says, you're not just sinners and you're not just saints. You're my son. And that is a whole nother level. Because a son carries something that a servant doesn't carry. I'll tell you, the evangelical world has been ripped to shreds over the past few years, and and some of it is justified. I mean, I'm an evangelical, but some of it's justified, some of it is not. We've done a lot of wrong I don't think it comes close to outweighing all the right that we've done, story for another day. But let me just just remind us that it is an honor to be called by his name. I'm despised, I'm despised, I'm not despised. My soul is grieved when I hear people say things like, I no longer call myself a Christian, but I do follow Jesus. not only was the blood of Christ shed so that we could bear the name Little Christs, but all throughout human history and church history, people suffered for this name simply because they wouldn't deny it. They were shoved into cages, and there were so many that were shoved into cages that they didn't die of starvation or from physical harm. They died of suffocation, because they were so jam-packed in there. They've been boiled alive and filleted alive, their skin filleted off their bodies because they simply would not say, I am not a Christian. Their name, they, they possessed a name that was unique and set them apart. And I'm gonna tell you, even in 2021, as much crap as we have done wrong, it is still an honor to be called by the name Christian. It is still an honor to recognize Jesus as our personal Savior, as the Savior of the world. It's still an honor to do this. And as adopted children, we have that right and we have that privilege. And I want you to remember that in the days to come. It is a right and it is a privilege to be called by the name of God. Number six, I am half, <laughs> I lied earlier. I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. The people of God need to forgive me. Number six, adopted children have been chosen by God. Paul tells us that even before the world was made, that God loved us and he chose us. This is astounding for this reason, that even though God understood there would be rebellion and he understood his heart would be broken from my actions and your actions, he still chose to do it because of the depth of his love for us. I cannot identify on a God level, but I can identify on a human level. You can too if you're a parent or a grandparent. Because I'm gonna tell you this, my Emery, she is our fourth child and she's four years old right now. Let me tell you what, that girl is spunky as the day is long. Y'all need to pray for your boy, okay? She's as sweet as the day is long, but you know, if you look at her wrong, she may cut you, okay? She is, She's just amazing. I love her soul so deep. But I'm gonna tell you this, my wife and I chose that we were going to adopt her before she was ever born. Before we ever knew her personality bent, before we ever knew what she would look like, we chose that we were going to bring her into our family. And get this, even in that moment, we had this understanding, we had this understanding that there's gonna come a time in her life and in my life where I'm gonna do something or she's gonna do something, but in the end, she is going to hurt me at some point. It happens with every kid, with every parent. A child, they say something or do something that hurts a parent in the same way that a parent does something to hurt a child. It happens, it goes both ways. But even knowing the heartache that all of our children would bring to us, we still chose to do it, right? This is the same understanding that God has with us as his children. He knew the heartache that would come, but he said, I still feel like it's worth it. And before the foundation of the world, before the first human heartbeat, he said, it's worth it and I want to do this because I choose them to be my children. Number seven, adopted children are unconditionally loved by God. John the Beloved, he said, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Notice this. See the great love that God has lavished on us. He's he's using um, extreme language here to help us understand how expressive God is in his love that we should be called the children of God. It is an unconditional love. And let me just say this. An unconditional, unearned, undeserving love is probably the most difficult love to understand. When I treat my wife well, it makes sense that she reciprocates that. It just makes sense. I love you. You love me, right? But when I act like a fool and my wife still chooses to love me, that is a love that I wrestle with and I struggle with because deep down I know that I really don't deserve that love. But deep down I really know that it's not about me deserving that love. It's about the freedom of the expression of love from a husband to a wife, And my relationship with the Father, it has always been a struggle for me, okay? Uh, For years, for years, I've only been a Christian for 21 years and for, I mean, I'm only 23, so that may, you know, I guess. uh, I always wrestled with feeling like I'm never good enough to deserve the love of God. So like I had this mindset that, yes, God loves me because he said he loves me, right? He loves the world conceptually, universally, he loves the world, but he doesn't really like me right and i would always get so sort of like and it doesn't matter what i did i would always try to earn the approval of god if i fasted for a week i felt like i should have fasted for 2 if i prayed for 35 minutes i should have prayed for 40 if you know if i gave you know 100 dollars i should have given 102 dollars it it was just always this haunting thing over me where i could never really understand undeserved unconditional unearned love from the Father, I gotta be honest, I still struggle to a great degree with it. But I'll never forget, I wanna tell you about a resource that absolutely changed my life. It's a book written by a guy named Timothy Keller. He's a pastor theologian. And he wrote a book called The Prodigal God. And the entirety of the book is tackling the story of the prodigal son. And without getting into it, it is a brilliant read, but I'm going to tell you, God used that to change my life, to change my understanding that God is not this God who's hovering, waiting for failure, He's not waiting for a slip-up. He's not waiting. He knows all of that. This is a God who stands at the door and he says, as soon as you turn, I'm coming and running. As soon as you turn, I'm coming for you. And I'm not just coming for you, but I got a ring and I got a robe and I'm going to put it on you, and I'm going to bring you back into the home, and I'm going to restore you, and so for so many people, it's, it's this idea that we struggle with the value that God puts on us, but listen to me. As adopted children, you have just as much. God loves you. Listen, I, I know this is there are a lot of technical ways to break this down. We don't have time to get into it. But, but let me help you understand this. God the Father loves us just as much as he loves God the Son. We, we are co-heirs with Christ. Jesus is the Son of God, and we are the sons and daughters of God. I'm not saying we're Jesus. Please don't misunderstand. Like I said, I don't have time to break it down. But I'm saying this, that God loves us in an unconditional manner. And he places value on us, not because of our goodness, but because of his goodness, because of his goodness. I remember all my kids, when, when they were little, especially when they were little, I would, um, I'd rock them at night to sleep. And um, every night I would, I would sing to them the, the same song over and over again because I just wanted it to stick in their soul. And I would sing, Jesus loves the little. I told my wife I was going to sing today. She said, please don't. (laughs) She said, that's why they pay you to preach, not to sing. And Okay. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red, yellow, black, white, they are precious in his sight. Listen, they are precious in his sight. They are precious in his sight. It doesn't matter how other people look. They are precious in his sight because Jesus loves the little children of the world. And regardless of where I've been, regardless of what I've done, he loves me with an undeserved, unearned, unconditional love because he bought me back from one family into his own. Number eight, adopted children have have a new father in God. Number nine, adopted children have a family, or excuse me, adopted children are a part of the family of God. Number 10, adopted children fall under the care of God. Number 11, adopted children bear responsibility to God. We will talk about that next week. And finally, number 12, adopted children have a future hope in God. Jesus, you remember just before Jesus goes to the cross, he makes this statement, talking to his boys, talking to his disciples. He gets on their level. They're fearful. They're afraid. They don't know what's going to unfold. They just know everything's about to shift for the worst. And Jesus comes to his boys and he says this. He says, listen to me. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he looks at me and he looks at you and he says, listen, I know the world's crazy, but I've not left you as orphans. I will come to you and I won't just come to you, but I will come for you. And when I come for you, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him and are his children. So today I want to, I want to go ahead and close. Um, we're going to have our, our ministry team is going to uh, come to the front if you need prayer for for any type thing our worship ministry is going to lead us in worship um, if you're watching online and and you need prayer for anything if you know that you have not been adopted into the family of God and you want to do that that would be the greatest joy for you to call today or if you have any other need you can call there will be a number on the screen but i want to I want to leave you with with a simple quote by A.W. Tozer. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let that settle in for a second. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? Why? because whatever you as an individual believe about God, and I don't mean just what you say you believe about God, but in the depths of your soul, what you believe about God changes how you live your life. It changes how you view God, how you interact with God, how you interact with the people of God, how you interact with the church, how you see yourself, what you think about yourself, and what you feel about yourself. What you believe about God has a litany of ramifications in your life. And what I've been praying for, for you and for me is that we will begin to see God rightly. That we will begin to see him as a father Rightly. And that will leave all of our butts and all of our exceptions and all of our concessions. We'll leave all of that stuff outside the door. And we'll begin to see God rightly. And as we begin to see God rightly, that we will begin to see ourselves rightly. Let me tell you, that is probably the biggest obstacle of all of truly believing, knowing the depth and depravity that lies within, that lurks within, knowing all of that about ourselves, to truly believe that the creator God truly loves me as his daughter, truly loves me as his son, to truly believe that is a, it's a paradigm shift. And I've been asking the Lord to really break off things that don't need to be on your mind. Distorted views and perverted views of how God views you and how you view yourself and how you view God, that God would break those things off of you just like Saul, that scales would fall from your eyes and you would begin to see things as they really are. It's been the prayer of my heart for you leading up to this week because your answer to how do you feel god feels about you how do you feel really about yourself all, the, all these things these are crucial to your spiritual development and your spiritual maturity crucial the most crucial thing is how you view god really is portrayed i'll tell you this you can stand with me if you don't mind <clears throat> I'll close with this. I want to pray for you and then then we can go. I'll tell you this. I love the concept of adoption in the natural. Um, when we adopted our first, it was like, oh no, this may, this faucet may never shut off. You know, I mean, it's it's just such a beautiful thing. But but let me tell you what, adoption is a very messy thing. There is so much that so many will never know or understand or, or you know have exposure to and rightfully so but my point is simply this is that as beautiful as adoption is that it's also a very messy thing and i'm going to tell you in the spirit realm adoption is the most beautiful thing but it's messy it's messy as well because the reality is this is that you're going to make memories with the lord but there are also going to be times where you're going to disappoint the lord right you're going to blow it you're going to should have done, could have done, would have done, but you didn't, right? And let me just, let me just go ahead and put an icing on the cake and say this, there are gonna be times where the Father disappoints you, where he doesn't do what you felt like he should have done, or he didn't answer a prayer in the way that you wanted him to do. It's a messy relationship, but listen to me say this, it doesn't change anything how messy it is. You're still deeply beloved, and you're still always and forever secure in the Father's hands in his arms as a child of the most high God. I'm gonna tell you what, you'd have to kill me to take one of my babies from me. Even my oldest baby, she's 20. And let me tell you what, I got a boy right now that's trying to take her from me, okay? (laughs) I got Nate Norman back there, he's got my back. I know Wyman's got, I I got some guys, we're gonna be okay. (laughs) But I'm telling you, no, he's a great kid, I love him. But I'm gonna tell you this, If anyone forcibly tried to take any of my babies from me, they would have to kill me before they did that. And listen to me, I'm an earthly father. I'm broken. I'm super broke. I'm depraved. I have all that stuff. You're talking about the eternal God who is full of righteousness and justice. The idea that he could ever let you go should be the farthest thing from your mind. Jesus said it like this. He said, God is the most powerful of all and no one can pluck you out of his hand. Why? Because of love. Because you're a son, you're a daughter of God, and he loves you to that degree. Father, this morning, I thank you for this beautiful gift, so many beautiful gifts, the gift of salvation and all that comes with it. I'm so grateful. And Lord, as I've been praying for so long, I pray for this beautiful congregation, everyone who's watching online in Brown Chapel, that Lord, you would begin to melt away the wrong distorted views that we have about you and about ourselves as your children. I pray that you will help us to see rightly and justly. Father, this morning as as people come, as they sit in your presence, I do pray that you will begin to break off mindsets that are evil, that are corrupt, that are not of the living God, but our minds that are still influenced by this world. And I pray that you will give us the mind of Christ. Help us to see rightly. Bless your people as they go this week. Give them an incredible week. We pray for you to protect them. Ask you to bring them back next week. Safely and soundly in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen.